Welcome to Step Into the Story. Incredible conversations of how the Bible changes lives, changes families, and changes communities across the globe. And here's your host, Phil Tuttle of Walk Through the Bible. Welcome to Step Into the Story. It's so exciting every time we get together that we explore the intersection of God's story and our story. And, um, you know, it's sometimes that's related to a person's career. Sometimes it's it's personal life, um, family life. It's the best conversations are when all of that gets integrated together. And I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation today with Paul Gould. Uh, Paul, you are Associate Professor of Philosophy of Religion and Director of the MA in Philosophy and Religion um, at Palm Beach Atlantic University. Paul, welcome to Step Into the Story. Thanks, Phil. It's great to be here today with you. I know just reading off your title, there are enough big words in that title that um, can be pretty intimidating and go, oh, wow, this guy is really, really, really smart. In fact, he may be too smart for me to hang out with. There's an intimidation factor that comes with that. And I, I think the wonderful surprise of this conversation is that you have a remarkable God-given and developed ability to take complex things and communicate them in ways that average people like me and lots of us can understand. So I, I'm looking forward to this conversation. What is the career path, and not just career path, but um, how did God work in your life to land you doing what you're doing today? That's probably a more complicated story than we even have time for, but let's hit, let's hit some of the high points because I, I want yeah. folks to get to know you a little bit. Okay, no, that's great. Yeah, I'll try. I'll give you a thumbnail of it, but it is kind of an interesting story uh, because my undergraduate degree was in accounting. And uh, wow, you know, that's quite yeah, a change. Yeah, very much a change. I was a CPA coming out of school, and you know, following in my father's footsteps. Super excited to be in business and to wear power suits and carry a leather briefcase. And I, you know, I had arrived early on, so I had thought, but. Um, yeah, and but one of the interesting things was that both myself and my wife, um, our lives had changed in college when we were confronted actually with the claims of Christ, and so we found faith in Christ in college. And so even though I took my first job as a CPA and was working in the business world, we had a huge heart for college students because that's when God got a hold of our lives. And so we knew even as you know, I married my wife soon after college, we knew pretty early on that we wanted to become a campus ministers and and work with college students. And so, so that's where the story gets a little interesting is we did that after a couple of years of being married and working in business, we eventually made our way onto a college campus working as a, basically like a campus minister. And there I began to know, this is where the story gets wild. I never would have predicted, never would have known, you know, somebody said in 10 years, you're going to be a philosopher that, you know, <laughs> not in my wildest dreams would I have said that or known that. But um, basically early on, I noticed every time I would go to talk to people about who, who Christ was or to talk about some aspect of Christianity, um, I always found myself veering towards the intellectual types or those who thought they were intellectual. And I loved having conversations about the deep things of God in the context of ideas. And long story short, the, 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 these new passions for learning were surfacing in my life. And, and they were passions for like 
what is the truth about X and what is the truth about Y and, and things like that. And so, you know, I think the front door, door is something called apologetics, which is like the, the defense of the faith, the rational defense of the faith. But from there, it became theology and then ultimately philosophy that I was most interested in. I just had all these questions about the nature of the world and things like that. And then there were two things that happened really quickly that sort of set me on this trajectory. The first one was actually about three years into this kind of wondering what to do at this newfound passion. I was actually leading a Bible study of guys, and we were working through the Gospel of Luke. And in like Luke 13, I don't know, 31, 32, somewhere in there, there's this passage where Jesus says about Herod, he says something like, you go tell that fox that I will continue on toward Jerusalem until I reach my end or my purpose, my telos, you know, which was the cross. And I can remember one of the guys in the group said, you know, I bet you Jesus was really passionate about that, you know, when he said that. And, and it kind of dawned on me that he probably was, and he was passionate in light of his end or his purpose, which for him, again, was the cross. And it just kind of dawned on me, and it was this, God was speaking into my heart that I will be most passionate about the things of God as I understand that unique end or tell us that God has for me. So it was kind of like one railroad track that put me on this path. The second one happened um, later that summer. Now I'm in Virginia Beach uh, teaching an apologetics class to students, learning some things about me and abilities to communicate learning some things about students and their need in, in that area. And I was actually sitting in church with my wife one Sunday, and somebody shared this quote that maybe, Phil, you'll remember from the Chariots of Fire, where the runner there, the main you know protagonist in the story, Eric Little, mm-hmm. um, is having this discussion with his, his sister, and you know she's asking, why are you running in the Olympics when you should go be a missionary to China? And basically he says something like, when I run, I experience God's pleasure. Yes. And I remember hearing that quote, sitting there in church, and just immediately began to ask God, like, what is it that when I do it, I experience your pleasure? And it was kind of like the second track was laid where God just very clearly spoke that you will be most passionate about the thing, you know, that, that the thing that you experience pleasure in is sharing the gospel in the context of ideas. And so those two sort of events put me on this path that led me eventually to teaching philosophy. Huh. So. You know, you take that word apologetics. Um, I think maybe I was in high school when I first heard that word, and I, um, I asked, I won't say who it was, but I asked a, a religious leader in my life at the time as I was in high school, you can probably fill in the blank what this gentleman's mm-hmm. job was in our church, and, and I said, what is apologetics? And he goes, oh, it's, it's, it's really the same word as apologize because Christians mess up a lot, and so it's, it's, it's telling people that were sorry, that were not very good um, representations of Christ. Wow! And yeah, um, not not a not a great definition of that. I asked somebody else, not from our church, who I knew to be highly intelligent, as actually actually my dad, and and I said, Dad, what what do you think apologetics are? And at the time, I guess my dad probably had some faith in Christ, but. Jesus wasn't a very important part in his life. And um, actuary by trade, highly intelligent, very analytical. And he goes, apologetics is basically when you use logic to try to paint somebody into a corner so they have Hmm. no option but to agree with you. Um, Equally unhelpful and Mm-hmm. Probably not something you'll want to use on your website anymore than mm-hmm. than the first answer. Um, how would you define 
the answer to the question I was asking in high school, and many people are still asking. The apologetics is a familiar enough word that we've heard it, which usually means we don't have a clue what it means, but we're too embarrassed to ask. I'm not too embarrassed to ask. So what would you say it means? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm still shocked where even I teach that topic, apologetics here uh, from time to time. And I am amazed that some students do come to me even today thinking it's just about learning how to apologize really well. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think of it pretty broadly. And though here's, here's the definition that I would give is that apologetics is basically working to help show that Christianity is true to the way the world is and true to the way the world ought to be. In other words, that Christianity satisfies the deep longing of the human heart to be rightly related to reality, that it's true, that it's reasonable, but it's also beautiful and satisfying like and good as well. And so to me, that's sort of a more robust um, understanding. I mean, historically, it's something like the defense of the faith or giving reasons for the hope that you have within the oftentimes, you know, the rallying cry of apologetics would be first Peter three fifteen, And all of that is true. But I think as embodied people, you know, creatures that live in this culture that are basically shaped by our culture. Um, I kind of think of it as more robust that we show them that Christianity is true to the way the world is, but also true to the way that the world ought to be, that it's true, good and beautiful as well. I love that. I mean, I wonder, I wonder, the difference that it might have had had somebody answered mm-hmm. my question that way in high school um, yeah. because I just kind of rejected it as, well, that's certainly not something I'm interested in. And and honestly, only in about the last decade has my mind come back around. And um, wow, I, I love I love the way you defined it just now. In, in addition to your role um, there at Palm Beach Atlantic, you founded something called the Two Tasks Institute. Um, it's not your main gig. It's uh, it's you know kind of a, a side hustle in a way, but it's it's mm-hmm. also the extension of your main calling in life. Tell us about the Two Tasks Institute, and uh, more than anything else, what are those two tasks? Because I think it ties in with what you were just saying. Yeah, you know, it's interesting the the name of that. The Two Tasks Institute actually comes from uh, a, a lecture that a guy named Charles Malik gave in 1983 at the opening of the Billy Graham Center in Wheaton. And he gave this sort of historic talk. Charles Malik was a Christian statesman and a philosopher. And he basically challenged um, the evangelical world, or at least in America, to basically engage in these two great tasks, as he put it, of redeeming the soul and redeeming the mind. And so that was actually the initial when I kind of started this side gig, as you put it, uh, which it sort of is, it's just an outflow of what I'm doing. Um, I, I, I had those two tasks in mind, but then I started to teach. Um, I was teaching at a seminary in Texas at the time, and I actually was asked to teach a class on cultural apologetics. And, and you know, like any great educator, I Googled the phrase, what is cultural apologetics, to see what I should be teaching on, and <laughs> there was nothing really there. And so uh, for, like, for about the next five years, I just used that class as like a research seminar on, you know, this question of culture and the gospel and apologetics and read like seven different books every semester. Um, and finally came up with this idea of, you know, this definition, this broader definition of cultural of apologetics that I gave you. But within there, I also realized that actually I liked Malik's original idea, but I think for our day and age, the two great tasks that Christians need to be engaged in are 
related to the two main objections to our faith. And the first objection is that Christianity is not reasonable. And of course, that's an old objection. We've been, you know, that objection has been around at least since the Enlightenment, but really since the beginning. Um, you know, but the louder and louder voices are saying that Christianity is irrational. It's a blind leap in the dark or things like that. And so we need to be able to show people that Christianity is plausible or reasonable. And that's the first task. But then I've realized, you know, especially more recently, there's this other set of objections to the faith that have to do with, you know, Christians are hypocrites or Christianity is not good for the world, or why would I want to embody a Christian ethic or things like that? It's repressive. And so there's this question about the goodness and the beauty of our faith. And so I kind of summarize those as questions about the desirability of our faith. So I think now, and the two tasks I have in mind are showing the reasonableness and the desirability uh, of Christ in basically this disenchanted world. I love that. I love that. And that is from my view, at least, that is spot on um, mm-hmm. the questions our culture is asking. And, you know, certainly with growing intensity with generations that are that are following my generation, those are the issues, you know. And, um, yeah. you know, you're right, the attack on the reasonability of, of, of Scripture or of the faith I mean, that's everything from long time ago that Christianity is the opiate of the masses. It's what mm. it's what weak people need if you can't stand on your own to go to get through life. And, um, you know, or or this is this is what people don't who don't think are willing right. to accept. And uh, mm-hmm. we, we have friends. The wife was a Christ follower a long time before her husband and. Um, both of them highly intelligent, but his personality, e- even his career, highly intellectual, you know, engineering type background, and um, caused no small amount of conflict in their relationship. And at one point, um, he had read, he had studied, and you know, it was just poking holes in everything she would say. And at, at one point, he made an appointment with their pastor and. I don't think he even told his wife about it, and they just sat down. And I mean, it is a, it is a mental, intellectual, academic thing. And there's also the spirit's work when he opens our eyes. And this guy came home that day and simply said to his wife, "It's true." And she goes, "What's true?" And he goes, "All of it." And she goes, what do you mean all of it? And he starts listing like basic doctrines and different things that he had tripped over intellectually. And um, he goes, it's it's all true. I, I believe it now. And uh, that just that was just so cool. And, and now he is passionate about sharing with other people, you know, the, whose minds require the same questions to be answered that that you do, and I, I think that's that's so wonderful. That's the reasonable part of it, the desirable part of it. What do you think? You know, when you say desirable, I, my mind instantly goes to the verse um, that talks about making adorning the gospel, making it attractive. What do you think Christ followers are doing, especially in in our culture and in our generation, what do you think Christ followers are doing that 
makes it undesirable or whatever the opposite of beautiful is ugly. Um, what are we doing to undercut that? Yeah, that's a huge question. Yeah. And, um, oh man, um, so many ways I could take that. I think that to keep it simple, I, I'm, I'm just going to stick with the three things I, I wrote about in a, in a book where I'm trying to unpack some of these things. Um, but, uh, uh, here, here's th- here's three things that I think we need to work on as the church. You know, one is this sort of rampant anti-individual. Uh, I'm sorry, rampant anti-intellectualism that is sort of prevalent in our church. I mean, just what you were sharing earlier about how people don't even know what apologetics is, even though that's sort of you know you, you see the giving of evidence every step of the way in the Gospels and in Acts and so on. So just this sort of rampant um, anti-intellectualism where we have a weak theology. We have a weak theology of the body, a weak theology of the church, a weak theology of beauty. Uh, I mean, all of it, all you know. And so we've got to reject anti-intellectualism and and uh, sort of pick up the call of God to love God with all of our being, including our mind. That's the first thing, uh, because people don't want to hear from us. They don't care what we have to say because we don't have anything interesting to say. Mm. Um, the second thing I would say is that we've got to, um, or the worry is that we're just we're just as fragmented as our non believing neighbors often in the church. And, you know, um, I think historically the church has called upon to play sort of a prophetic role in culture, but, you know, the fact that we're not much different than uh, everyone else, um, I think has really muted that, that, that ability to speak into the darkness with light or to be salt into a, you know, a decaying world or something like that. And so we've got to seek wholeness. And of course, wholeness can only be found in Christ. And so we've got to sort of pick up that call of Christ to follow me and to pick up her cross and to deny self. And, and which is of course very subversive and very counterculture um, to the wider cultural narratives that uh, are inviting our participation every day. And so just this fragmentation, that's the second thing. The third thing I'd, I'd probably want to say, and this is going to sound odd, but um, we've got to work to rebaptize our imagination. And I guess what I mean by that is that, that Christians by and large today seem to view the world pretty much the same way everyone else does. Um, we'll use words like ordinary or everyday or mundane, but that's actually not the way the world is. Like, you know, from a biblical perspective, the world is gift or it's created or it's, or it's um, you know, to use the proper word, it's holy. It's, it's, it's mysterious and all these things. And so the problem is in losing sort of this vision of the world as, as a sacrament or as a gift, um, you know, as created by God and give, get, gifted to us as creatures, in losing that, we've basically lost the Christian imagination. And so, again, Christianity just doesn't seem not only plausible, but like undesirable. So, so I think those three things are connected uh, in, many, in many ways to the, the, the reasons why we're not viewed as attractive, um, you know, in large parts of culture. So that, that's maybe a start. Wow, I'd like to have a semester's worth of you talking about that. Um, that would be that would be fascinating. Um, I know you did a review of Mark Knoll's um, book, Jesus and the Life of the Mind. And um, mm-hmm. Mark Knoll years ago wrote a book called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind that turned me inside out. It really did. And, you know, it's we we read, I think it's Mark 12. You know, one of the teachers of the law comes to Jesus and says, you know, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment? And and Jesus says to love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is likened to the first, love your neighbor as yourself. He refused to uncouple those two things. 
but I don't think I'd ever really noticed that mind was on the list of how I was supposed to love God. Um, you know, I knew he, I, I was raised kind of in a church background that was definitely on the anti-intellectual side. And mm-hmm. I was always the one asking the hard questions. And sometimes I was just being a high school jerk about it. But um, a lot of it was just this deep hunger. And the answers I was being fed were not satisfying. And I was so close to just walking away from the faith. And I can remember someone saying, Phil, God gave you a good mind, but if you keep using it to ask hard questions, he's going to take away your mind. And uh, yeah, yeah, a few decades with a therapist will make some progress (laughs) on that. But that's, um, you know, and then to discover that, no, you don't have to put away your brain to love Jesus, you know, that to show that Jesus was both brilliant and beautiful. I think I picked that statement up off of your website someplace as well. And that that idea of reasonable and desirable, reasonable and desirable. So there's a firm foundation under our faith. And there's also something so compelling about it that that Christianity is better than you think because Christ is better than you think. And um, I just... I just thank you for responding to God's call. Most people don't have the wiring to do what you do, and especially to be able to think deeply, but then to turn that around and come out of that deep place and then communicate clearly and, and simply. So, and I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to, to learn more about what you're doing. Um, how did, I mean, you kind of gave us the short version of it, but I'm especially interested in how did God focus you? Um, you know, you mentioned that there were a certain kind of students that you seemed to connect with, and um, not only did they bond with you, I bet they were glad to find somebody who could actually engage on that level. But then... Mm-hmm. How did God affirm that calling? How is he still affirming it today for you? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and, and I think, you know, I've heard it said, I forget, maybe it was Frederick Buechner had said something about calling as like the intersection of, you know, the, the um, needs of the world and the, your passions and like your giftings or something like that. And, and I really do think that I'm super thankful that I get to do the job that I believe I was created for. And for me, it's been a journey, um, you know, it started, starting with apologetics, led to theology, led to philosophy. And, and I think I have a, a, my view is that there's a very tight connection between theology and philosophy. I mean, I love this passage in, in the new Testament in Colossians chapter two, verse three, where it says about, uh, it says of Christ in Christ are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so if philosophy is just you know, the, the, the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge for the flourishing of all, and then in Christ are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge, then there's, you know, a tight connection between the two. And so I think, um, so part of it has just been a journey of, I think, just a natural inquisitive mind wanting to know the truth about the world, um, you know, wanting to know the truth about the gospel, and, and, to, and also just a heart to communicate that to others. That's sort of the campus ministry background that I think actually helps me as a teacher because I I do care about translating, right? You know, I can read that, the academic literature, 
but I want I want to translate that in such a way that the normal people can right, actually like right. you know understand it because it, it it's this is how we're meant to flourish and I want we want people to know that and so for me it was um, probably in grad school though and to, to get to your question of how did I end up sort of exactly doing the things I'm doing in grad school, one of the things that you get to do as at Purdue uh, doing my PhD in philosophy, um, one of the joys of grad school is you get to teach undergrad classes. And that's where I realized, you know, I'd had lots of experience speaking or even like preaching at a church or things like that. But what I realized in the classroom was, okay, this is where my heart sings. This is how God has made me specifically. Mm -hmm. And I could just remember walking into a classroom, maybe tired or you know, whatever, but just about every time walking out of that classroom with, with a heart full of gratitude and, you know, and, and like, that's where I think, um, you kind of turn that corner from learning about philosophy in my case, becoming a philosopher kind of on the, on your feet and things like that. So, yeah, I think it's just been this journey of following God. And, and now I find myself, um, leading a program that, cares about intellectual rigor, like intrinsically is motivated, like we care intrinsically about philosophy because we think it aids human flourishing. So we care about academic rigor, but we care about like this nexus of gospel, mission, culture, the church, apologetics, you know, and then also this sort of Christ-shaped community. And so I kind of find myself at this place where I can speak, I can teach, but I can build and and, and, and write and, and all that. So I'm just I don't know how exactly I got here, but I'm, I thank God that, you know, each step of the way we've tried to be faithful as best we can and, and we're thrilled to be down here in South Florida. And that included that included moving. Um, you yeah. and Ethel have four <laughs> kids. That included moving in the middle of a pandemic. So mm-hmm. this this proves that you can be a deep philosopher and yet do something wild and crazy. Um, how, <laughs> how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, uh, just the timing of it. You know, I was actually um, in academic purgatory for about a, two years. We had left the job I was at in, at, the, at the seminary in Texas and just trying to find a better fit for a couple of years. And, and then the timing of this new program just came up such that we, yeah, we had to move this summer, summer of 2020. Um, so we did it. You know, we brought, we left half our family in Texas. I've got two college age students uh, at Baylor and Waco. And so this is a new time for us to have adult, adult ish children uh, in one part of the country and the rest of our family here. But um, yeah, that's how we ended up here, I guess. Yeah. So um, I'm picturing you at your uh, family dinners together. I mean, is there a deep conversation every night over the uh, salmon and sweet potatoes, or, um, or I mean, do your do your kids get what you do and embrace it, or is it kind of like I never knew what my dad did as an actuary. I knew just he got in the car every day and left, and then came home and we'd shoot some baskets. But um, yeah. how, how much do your kids, especially your older kids, track with with God's calling on your life? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, in, in many ways, um, now nah, I'm just a normal dad. You know, uh, they, I'm not I'm not uh, <laughs> a professor dad at the table usually, but we do have interesting conversations. But they're usually the kind of normal conversations we'd want to have, whether as a professor or not. Hey, how have you seen the finger of God in your life today? Um, lately, it's been tell us the apple and the onion of your day. So, you know, some easy way to kind of frame it. But yeah, just normal things. Um, it has been fun with my older children. Actually, all of them, though, um, we do have moments like I've had 
some kids, one of my sons came to class here uh, a couple weeks ago and we were teaching on actually original sin. It was a, a theology topic and, and he loved it. And we had a great conversation after that. And so, I mean, they, I think they're watching, they've heard me do stuff, but what's been really rewarding is my two college age kids. Um, one of them has actually decided to major in philosophy and English at Baylor and, you know, reading all the things that I've been teaching for years, but finally the conversations were like, Hey, you know what, Plato's actually pretty cool, and let's talk about Book 7 in the cave. Or, you know, yeah, Augustine is amazing, and all these things that, you know, you could say that to your blue in the face as a dad. Um, they wouldn't hear it, but it's been fun to, as they're getting older to um, have a little more, you know, more, more mature conversations about some of those things. But, yeah, I, I think it's mostly just a normal dad trying to love their kids, and we do have some fun theology philosophy talks from pretty, time to time. Pretty cool. My wife, yeah. I used to call her the theo- the theologian of the minivan. And um, <laughs> there's That's no right. question in my mind that our kids deepened in their faith more from the talks right. along the way going here and there than they did sure. from all of my sermons combined. Um, it's yeah. hard to <laughs> admit that, but it's also cool on, on another level, too. Uh, yeah. You know, as um, as you think about thousands of questions that you've been that you've answered over the years, are there are there a couple of either questions or topics that, um, you know, we've we've all got friends, we've all got family members that um, don't know the Lord and and would certainly not be all that attracted to him um, not because of anything Jesus has done, but those of us who represented him uh, letting them down and presenting a distorted picture of them. But are there are there a couple of questions that have really opened minds of either unbelievers or, or believers, concepts that, that left them going, whoa, I, I never thought about that. Are there one or two things like that? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting question. Um, I, because I think there is, I have noticed a shift in how I communicate, and this is something that Tim Keller, who was a, he's a pastor from New York, has said. I don't know somewhere years ago, but it really stuck with me. And this is how I, I kind of phrase everything these days: is asking the question, "Is there a story of all, of all the competing stories? Because there's all these stories out in culture that are competing for your allegiance, they're seeking your participation." But the question is, um, of all these competing stories, is there one that's alive and that understands you? You know, and, and because I think in many ways, uh, the, the human quest, you know, this sort of a central metaphor, I think, for life is the idea of quest or journey. In many ways, that quest is the quest to discover the true story of the world. And there's this hope along the way that whatever that true story is, that it would satisfy the deep longings of the human heart. And this is where the beauty of the gospel story mm-hmm. comes in, you know, because... Um, I love how Lewis, C.S. Lewis puts it, where, where Christianity is this perfect blend of, as he would put it, reason and romance, right? You know, so it's, it's true to the way the world is. It's eminently reasonable. But his sense of romance was this sort of deep longing for home, this deep longing for, for the way things ought to be. And and, um, and that's where you, and so Lewis discovered in Christianity that it's true myth. You know, it's the true story of the world. Um and that's, I think, the, the question that I, I find myself returning to over and over again. That's really beneath all the other questions. You know, in, in philosophy and apologetics, there, there's always questions like, well, why does God allow good people to, to suffer? Or why is God hidden? Or 
how do you know that Jesus is God? But the question beneath all of those questions, and you can multiply all those questions for a long time, is, is there a story that, 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 that's alive and understanding that satisfies the deep longing of my heart? I mean, I just think that's the, the question. And, and really the intuition beneath that question, or I think the thing that we're remembering is another philosopher, Blaise Pascal, in this book, The Ponces, he wrote that, you know, like deep within the human heart, he put it, there's like this whiff of a trace of a time when man, capital right. F, man was truly happy, capital H, happy, you know? And so I think deep within the human heart, there's a sense that we're created for some, you know, something more. And, and I think asking that question about stories sort of taps into that, mm. that human longing. You look how that dovetails, even with this podcast. Why did we name it Step Into the yeah. Story? And That's it is exploring right. that intersection between, we say God's story and our story, but for most people, it's inverted. It's our story and God's story. Is there, mm-hmm. is there room in my story for God's story? And of course, then the glorious discovery is, whoa, his, his story is epic. His story mm-hmm far transcends my story, but the great discovery of, but you know what? There's a place for my story in his story. And Paul, I'm, I'm telling you more than just about any guests that I've had the privilege of dialoguing with, um, you're, you're living that out. And, uh, it's, it's so exciting to just, to just hear your description of that. I, I love, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, and, you know, it's a lot of people have that filed away as a as a kid's story and uh, especially the movie version of it. But there's there's one time in there where Lucy, who's one of the main characters, Aslan is a lion who really represents Jesus Christ. And and, you know, Lucy hasn't seen Aslan for a while. And I, I, I want to pull this up so I so I get this right. But Aslan, the lion says to her. Um, to Lucy says, welcome child. He said, Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. He says, that is because you're older little one. Not because you are, she says, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And, um, I just want to, Paul, I want to leave that picture in your mind that that is a big part of your calling, what you get to do, um, to be able to combine that for a career is just so awesome. And um, just just commend your work. If people wanted to learn more from you, if they wanted to um, take another step, if, if there's one resource that uh, you have found to be very helpful, if you wrote it, don't be shy about that. Tell us what it yeah. is, but but then also um, tell the easiest way for people to get in touch with you, and we'll make sure we also put that in our show notes. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess self-promotion, but it really, if the kinds of things that we have been talking about um, are of interest to your listeners, I would recommend um, checking out my book, Cultural Apologetics. It's really just the, the 20-year questioning as a campus minister, how do, how do we have a conversation with the culture about the plausibility and the desirability of the gospel. That's really that book. Um, so that, that book would maybe be a good place to start. And, you know, I can be found and I'm happy to interact with anyone They can find me on social media, Facebook or Twitter, or just find my email um, through Palm Beach Atlantic University and shoot me an email. But uh, always happy to talk to folks and um, get in touch with me through the normal channels would be great. And then you have um, 
you have a website that's that's just yours. What's the URL for that? Yeah, that's just paul-gould.com. And you can also find uh, a lot of the kind of activity that finds expression outside of the academy at the twotasksinstitute.org. So those are two websites that you can check out, paul-gould.com and twotasksinstitute.org. Mm. Every time we get together on step into the story. We are exploring that intersection. And um, to everyone listening today, I, I would just say to, to just critically evaluate, is your picture of God accurate? Or are we letting the world around us not only pour us into its mold, but are we letting the culture define for us who Jesus is um, and, and twisting the view of him? Or do we really know not just the version of Jesus that's embodied by those who claim his name as Christians, but Jesus himself, because he is glorious, he is winsome, he's beautiful, he's attractive, and um, God has never once in my life um, unlike some of the early advisors in my life, God's never been threatened once by a hard question. He welcomes the hardest questions. And all he asks is that we be just as open to his answers as he wants us to be with our questions. So I hope you're encouraged by this conversation today. Paul, thank you very much for opening up not just your ministry, but also your life and uh, sharing this on Step Into the Story today. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks, Phil. It's a joy to be with you today. You know, if you've been encouraged by this today, um, tell your friends about it. Um, share it on social media with them. And wherever you get your podcast, it would really help us if you'd leave a review. And um, let's help get this message out there because it is the need of the hour in our generation right now. Thank you so much for being with us today, and we'll see you next time on Step Into the Story. Thank you for joining us for the Step Into the Story podcast, powered by Walk Through the Bible. We'd love to hear what you think by giving us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, don't miss a single episode by clicking the subscribe button. If you'd like more resources to help you explore and live God's word in your daily life, visit walkthrough.org. That's W-A-L-K-T-H-R-U dot O-R-G. Walk through the Bible. Take a walk. Change the world.